0: Welcome to The Loop Podcast, the podcast that deep dives what works today when it comes to marketing to the modern buyer. And today we're joined by Jenna Quigley, Head of Marketing Strategy at Netscope. So Jenna, to give our listeners some context uh, and what sort, what angle you're coming on on this subject uh, and a bit of information about Netscope, including sort of like company size and what it does and your role there as well. Um, uh, yeah, it'd be great to get sort of like that insight.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hey, everyone. I joined Netscope about two years ago. It's a cybersecurity company, about 3,000 employees. And I've been in cybersecurity for 15 years now. So I have quite a bit of experience in B2B marketing, and I've held almost every role you can imagine on the marketing team. But in my role now as head of marketing strategy and planning, it's super fun. I get to work hand-in-hand with our CMO and report directly to him to drive strategic initiatives throughout the marketing organization. So any kind of focus uh, areas that we'd like to hone in on or some key objectives that we'd like to drive, I work with him to do that. And then also drive an operational planning rhythm to make sure that not only are we staying agile, but that we have a set schedule of planning so that everyone's on the same page because there's so many dependencies in marketing across the cross-functional teams. And also a big initiative for us recently is just becoming more data driven. So definitely helping drive that throughout the organization and providing a lot of analytics and dashboards to make sure that we're making smarter decisions.
0: So something uh, I'm interested in, and I I think other people will be interested in as well, it's like, how does your role sit amongst the the team? And I suppose, yeah, what's the general structure of the marketing team and and how you you like sort of fit into that, that picture?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, we have just over 100 people on our marketing team. And um, I own the planning function. So I have a few people on my team that actually run project management, but we're a shared service. So we work across all the teams in marketing, and we work with all of them. And um, our structure for the marketing team itself is pretty traditional. I will say we have a growth marketing organization that consists of field marketing and digital marketing, we have a product and solutions marketing team that consists of product marketing and then also our global campaigns team. And then we have corporate marketing, which encompasses our trade shows, our C-level marketing, all of our PR communications um, and social media.
0: Okay, amazing. So and then you sort of like sit then across all of these departments and sort of help bring them together and
1: yeah.
0: align on, on on the goals. Is that is that correct?
1: Exactly correct. Yes. So making sure that everyone's aligned on our key initiatives and key goals. And we roll out KPIs for the marketing org- organization every year. And then we have OKRs as well that we adjust every quarter, depending on what the focus is. And the OKRs are really outside of just like your normal key marketing KPIs. There's just something that we really want to hone in in. say there's a specific product that we want to drive or uh, we want to increase you know, visitors to our website in a specific area. The OKRs are a little bit more detailed than our KPIs, but yes, we drive those across the entire organization and then work with everyone too to understand, you know, what should our planning look like depending on the growth that we're expecting for next year. So uh, we want to make sure that we have enough headcount and enough budget and programs dollars to support all the different teams.
0: Amazing. So yeah, it kind of, you're kind of combating the age-old thing of everyone ending up in silos and not working together. <laughs> so.
1: Exactly yes we're a very cohesive team I will say and that's what makes working at Netscope really really fun.
0: Awesome so as someone as being like responsible for marketing strategy what are the key things you're noticing in the industry and landscape are there any sort of trends or changes and issues that, that you're seeing at the moment?
1: Yes some major changes I would say probably the biggest this has been the biggest year of change in my career so far. Um, you know, not only did we just get out of like COVID, you know, a few years ago, but that totally changed everything, right? But we're in the era now of generative AI and chat GBT and the amazing technology that it can help us become so much more efficient. So I know that our organization is trying to really be some of the first adopters of some of the marketing tools that we can use with ChatGPT. For example, you know, I just went to the Forrester B2B Summit in North America and uh we're exploring a tool right now that's actually a bot for a sales development representative
0: mm-hmm. and
1: instead of having an SDR do email back and forth with someone, it's actually a bot that's driven by AI and even the messages that it sends, you know, we can say please craft a message around Uh, you know, modern family and cybersecurity and put a tie in together and, and introduce a product. And it will literally spit out the email cadence that it should send. So that's just one example of like amazing change we're seeing to create not only efficiency, but just really emphasize like the optimization of all the different things that we have. And when I think about marketing and AI, like I think about things like creating a landing page. I mean, you can literally put in a few sentences and some tools will spit out landing pages for you where traditionally, you know, that could take hours for an employee to create Um, the email bot that I mentioned, website design, creating headlines, creating content. um, It's I think going to be revolutionary for marketing. And we're just kind of seeing the beginning of it and everyone's trying to figure out how to use it. And um, another interesting thing is our company actually secures using chat GPT. So the other side of the coin is for our customers. They want to know how they can s- secure the data that's being inputted in there. Um, another really big change right now is obviously for, you know, the economy changing and um, people wanting our customers wanting to consolidate and reduce cost. So we're all trying to find out, you know, what, how can we be better efficient for our customers too and add on to our tech stack to make sure that. We offer multiple things because I think people are moving away from single point solutions and wanting to find more of a platform approach. So that's the other big change. And of course, we're like just means in marketing, we have to be even more efficient with our dollars, too. Um, and then lastly, I would say the other biggest change in our strategy is just using video more than ever. I think I read the other day that video is actually like the number one way people are consuming content now. Um, so everything we do, whether it's a podcast or on social media, we're trying to figure out way, how, how can we introduce video more um, versus having, you know, a 20 page ebook that someone's going to read. It seems like video is the future and it's not really new, but just trying to emphasize that anytime we're creating content, video is included.
0: Mm-hmm. I think the video thing is like, it's not, it's like not just rooted in the video. It's like just how people consume content now is like way yeah. less text-based, text-based in general. Like you, like there's just so many mediums that you can reach people on and like video is so much more easily, yeah, used like just on all social media platforms. They just push video hard. Um, So yeah, completely agree. Yes, yeah. yeah. so
1: if you're not doing video, you're going to
0: be well. Left- <laughs> yeah, do it now.
1: <laughs> yes, do it now.
0: Um, so I suppose based on some of those trends and what you're noticing, um, do you have, I mean, other than the recommendation to use video now, uh, do, you, uh, yeah. do you have any recommendations on how companies should be thinking about their strategy going forward?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would say every company, just when I think back to like the changes in our economy in the past couple of years, I would say every company and especially every marketing team should always have a list of things that they would be willing to cut back. And a wish list, list of things that they would be willing to add. So, um, you know, even though we're planning, you know, a lot of companies plan six months in ahead. I think you have to be really agile and be able to change whatever your plan was really quickly. And a lot of times that could mean like I've had, you know, times in my, my career where they're like, "Hey, we have fifteen million dollars we need to spend in the next month. How are we going to spend it?" So always having that wish list of, you know, here are the things that I would add on if I had the money, and then. Things that I would cut back because similarly, you know, if the economy is not doing well or the company's not growing as fast as you thought, what are the different things that you know, different areas that you know you can optimize cost on and cut back a little bit? Um, Because we have to be agile in our strategies, we have to be agile in our spending. So I would say that would be one of my my biggest, you know, most actionable recommendations. And, And it could be at an individual contributor level for your own job, or it could be, you know, you're on the leadership team and you're driving a full business unit. It's, it really goes you know for every level within the organization to have that what you could cut and then what you would add and then the second thing I would say if you're not investigating AI tools start investigating them because it's just a, a great way to um, increase efficiency again and probably reduce cost as well and I do think that's the future and then yes the third thing is is for sure video you know have have hires that are experts in video um, but also with that I would say I recommend hiring. People kind of right out of school. So finding younger talent, I think, is awesome because they are like video is, you know, their first nature. They're posting to their friends with video and it translates into the business world as well, a lot of that. Um, so that would be another recommendation is it's just awesome to hire um, some of that talent straight out of school because they have those skills right out of the gate. And uh, they kind of foresee the future of you know video, so that would be my other recommendation. And it's awesome to see them to grow in their careers.
0: Yeah, it's um. I mean, in all of that, it's kind of like basically get your get your head in the future. Like, you can't yeah. like you've got to you can't really ignore all of like the changes with AI. You need even if you're just investigating at this stage, you need to be able to understand it. And like yeah. when it comes to like content roles and all these things is we can't you can't just keep hiring for the same type of content role there's like and I, exactly. I I really believe this passionately there's that there's that future future content role where they're not a blog writer they're much more skilled in like video and other forms of multimedia right
1: yes but absolutely like across those three things the theme is be ready for anything
0: yeah so I suppose a a question here, and this is really important, I suppose, from your side as well, of having this big organization where you have to, like, drive change across many teams. But um, do you have any, like, sort of, like, what, like, are the challenges that I suppose you tend to find in driving change uh, and driving strategy across, um, like, a large organization uh, and actually, like, making it successful at the same time?
1: Yeah, change is really, really hard. I will say, thought about this one for a while because there's really no easy answer. But I will say I've seen change done really, really well. And then I've also seen change done really, really poorly. So I think from those experiences, you know, I've learned a lot about like what I would do and what I wouldn't do. And, you know, they've been at large organizations and then also small organizations. I would say key factors that contribute to successful change, like Number one, I think, is transparency and communication. Mm-hmm. When people feel like they are in the dark, that's when they get really scared, right? They're scared about what's coming. They hear rumors. No one's addressing them. And um, that's when you know people start coming up with their own concepts, right? So I would say number one thing is get in front of out of your team. So if you're a leader in the organization, start addressing the change right away. Whatever the change is, make sure that everyone knows what's happening and it's okay if there are some unknowns like you know it's okay to say hey there's this big change that we're trying to make within the organization I don't have all the answers yet but I wanted to make sure that everyone you know kind of knows what's coming Um, and then I would say have a communication plan so if you're in the leadership team definitely make sure that you have a project plan and a communication plan because you also don't want to go too long between the time where you tell people change is coming and then let them wait a long, long time before you you know, you give them more details. So I would say trans- transparency, communication, and then lastly, let people have a voice. So people want to you know, contribute their um, advice and then also their feedback. So I would say if you have a big change, and change could mean so many different things, um, what it could be just a change on in personnel. It could be a change in the tools that you're using or the technologies that you're using. Um, it could be a lot of other things too, but I would say, um, get, get people to weigh in. So whether that's creating an official committee of, you know, people that's going to weigh in, or it's one per- specific person that you call out. Cause if it's a smaller change, maybe you don't need a full committee, but if it's just one person on the team that you're like, Hey, I want you to kind of help me be the the change driver for the team. and then I want you to weigh in so you can tell me like how people are feeling about this, what you think we need to make this change. And it always, I think, does the company good when you bring people in that are like in the field or closest to the change to weigh in. So I would say, again, transparency, communication is so important. And then, you know, getting someone that can be your feedback person. So letting letting the people have a voice or even if it's a Slack group, honestly of like, hey you know, here's the Slack group where you can post your feedback or a Google doc or whatever it is. Um, Just having a forum for that feedback is super, super important. Um, Some, like some examples of uh, that I've seen of like amazing um, change management. I think of like big companies like Netflix, for example, that, you know, went from sending out DVDs and I actually used to be a subscriber. Um, So you'd order, you'd pick your, you know, three movies, they'd mail you the DVDs and you mail them back. And then they switched to streaming, right? They saw that everyone was moving in that direction and made a giant change within the organization. And it's done really well for them. They've been obviously super profitable, but I imagine for people at first, they were like, no, like, you know, our business is like these DVDs that we're sending out, like, so it is. And even in the evolutions of companies I've seen, so I've been at um, Palo Alto Networks when we were a thousand employees and we went to 10,000 by the time I was gone and just seeing, Um, how different the culture is when you join like a startup organization and then when it grows up right when it goes through these like phases of evolution it is really hard for people that were there in the beginning to adopt to these new ways Um, but I think what can really help with that is just again fostering a great culture and then hiring people that are used to change or feel comfortable with change because I love the saying it's very cliche but like the only constant (laughs) is change. So. You kind of need to find people that are okay with that and they're comfortable with that. And um, if you hire even at the top leaderships, leadership that has d- been through changes like that, then they'll do much better to driving that change within your organization. And then at a human level, the people that are individual contributors, you know, if they've been open to change and experienced it in the past, they'll al- also be more likely to foster that change than the organization.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really interesting one. Because I would say... I would obviously say that it's easier to drive change in a smaller organisation from my experience. Uh, Mm. But then that kind of is an obvious in just terms of like the number of people involved, like existence of unravelling of processes and stuff like that. Um, But I also wonder if there is this mindset thing that's really important in being like used to change. And like when you're in an early startup environment, I know that from starting in and change is so massive all the time and constant that you just you just become used to it and you're not afraid of changing it at all but being in like bigger corporates at times
1: mm-hmm. then
0: like yeah then you know it never really changes or it's very rare uh and yeah. then then there's this like this huge resistance um so people get really stuck in their ways uh, yeah so yeah it's interesting I, I kind of like do you have like any I suppose a little bonus question, kind of off it here, but like, do you have any like, I suppose, ways that you think that you potentially hire for that change mindset, or yes, how you would go about that, and like, how you identify it?
1: Definitely, I have hired hundreds of people. I find that if the person has done multiple jobs or they've worked at startups too, that's a plus, right? When you when you know someone that has. I guess what I'm saying is someone that has worn multiple hats. So they're not, um, they haven't been maybe the same role in their career the entire time, or they weren't at the same type of company their entire time. Those are people that you know have experienced change because they've, you know, they've done different jobs or they've been at different types of organizations. That usually signals to me that that person is comfortable with change because they've been through the change themselves. If I see someone that has, you know, been a field marketing manager for their entire career and never done anything else. Um, That's usually a red flag for me. Like why, you know, why were they not wanting to expand and try something else? Or, you know, were they just so passionate? It's okay if they were so passionate about it, but they took on additional projects, maybe that didn't change roles. Um, But I would say I would like, that would be someone that I would dig into if they're resume looks exactly the same for their whole career. Um, But if I, when I look for people, I do like to look for people that have had that variance in roles that they've done, because it explains to me that they're willing to learn something new. They are also adaptable. And if they've been even in different industries or different size companies, that's great too, because they've had experience in them. And then, yes, I love people that come from like wearing multiple hats too. Like they weren't just in one specific role, but they did multiple things. Um, those are typically people that I think are more open to change than someone that's just done the same thing their whole career.
0: Yeah. And then you get the like I, something we used to like when especially when uh comes a bit smaller, is like the, the experience that someone gets from being a solo marketer at a small company. Yes. I think it's for the exact same reasons. So they're wearing a million different hats uh, to exactly. do everything. <laughs>
1: Yes. I love when people are like, you know, explaining their job and they're like, well, I pretty much do everything. (laughs) And It's like, perfect. Like that means you, you know, have worn multiple hats again. So yeah, that those are typically people that go through change really, really well. Um, And I mean, yeah, it's just, it's the same in your personal life that it is in your business life, right? Like if you've had change in your personal life, you've moved, like I think about, I moved eight times before I was 20 And so from moving, you know, all those times, I'm very adaptable to change. Um, At the same time, now I'm like, I want to live in one house and I don't want to move for a long time. Um, But I if you've experienced that in your personal life, too, it applies to business as well. So even if you don't have it on your resume, if you have it in your personal life, too, that I think adds on to being adaptable to change.
0: Awesome. And. So coming back to kind of what you said um previously, like a kind of like idea of like finding a change champion in the team or like an inside mole uh, <laughs> who can give you yes. the feedback. Um, I suppose that's one way that of like of doing this, but and we could maybe jump into that more. But it's like, how do you feel like leaders can effectively communicate the need for strategic change to employees and stakeholders? Um, in a bo- big organization? And like, obviously, you mentioned that as one way, but are there other ways amongst that as well?
1: Yeah, the other thing I would say is, um, uh, because culture plays such a big part is having your values written down, whether it's, you know, on your website, or just on a PowerPoint internally, if you're a small company, uh, being able to make sure that people align to those values, I think is is really important for change, because those cultural values will all come into play when you're going through a big change. And then of course, making sure your leadership practices those values. So if you say, I remember my last CMO, one of our values was no egos, no assholes. So um, you might have to bleep that out, but, um, and he, he practiced that as well. Like he did not have an ego and he was very approachable. And um, I think he hired leaders that embodied that same value and because we like we saw it, not just the values on paper, but they were embodied by the leadership team, um, it helped the culture of change because, you know, we believed in the people that were telling us, like, this is the change, this is why we need to do it. Um, so I would say, you know, if you're implementing a really big change, work with the leadership team to make sure those values are written out and they're shared across the organization, um, you know, get like, in addition to the change agents, I would say, you can always survey people too, like put together, you know, some sort of survey. Um, and then, you know, like you just have to live by the behavior that you're asking your employees to do. So if you're asking them to adopt a new tool, for example, like I like to live by, I wouldn't ask my team to do anything that I wouldn't do. So if you're asking them to learn something new, if you're asking them to take a training, or if you're asking them to try a new way of thinking, you do it first and then, let them know your feedback. And then that's why the change agents are also important. Cause just like, you know, when we're selling tools, we like to have customers that can be advocates. That person on the team is an advocate for whatever that changes to say, Hey, you know, I made this change and it worked out well for me. Here's why. And then other people start believing it as well. And they, and they start making that change. So I would say ensure, yeah, the values are written down. Um, the leadership team is aligned and embody them. And then having that change agent like share the success stories out too along the way so that people see you know why the change is happening and what the benefits are
0: mm-hmm. I like the idea that you know it has to be top to bottom because you could have like a leader driving change but if they don't really believe in it then no one else will or they're not exactly. or they're like tentatively going for it then everyone yes. will follow that same that same Although way.
1: You just made me think of something. You just made me think of something. So I would say too, if you're a leader and you don't agree with the change, I like to say like, there's, you know, a time period where you can voice that you disagree,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but then there comes a point where you have to move on. So I would say too, um, you know, definitely voice, voice the feedback, but obviously if it, if it's a decision that's been made, then, then you also have to move on from that. Um, cause there's been times too, where I'm like, no, I don't think this makes sense, whatever the change is, right? Um, and I do voice that. And you you know, you know, voice it for a while, you voice it as much as you can, but then there comes the point where you have to move on. And so I would say like for any change agent or leader that maybe is disagreeing with, that, with, with whatever change is going on, you know, voice it, but then give yourself a little bit of time and kind of like a cutoff, like a deadline. Like if I don't get people to come around to whatever I think by this time, I'm also going to move on and um, start adopting whatever the change is
0: yeah you have to you have to sort of like accept this like dead and buried and embody it kind of yeah yes, exactly and then um, what sort of strategies or frameworks can would you say leaders um can use to create like that sense of urgency and momentum to then drive it so obviously like embodying it is part of it but mm-hmm. um, I suppose yeah. to get people to that end goal that you need otherwise it could all these things kind of like linger and drag as people sort of help yeah. maybe hold it up unintentionally or intentionally
1: yes um I heard about this change framework when I was getting my MBA um I can't remember the guy's name but it was the concept of like unfreezing changing and then refreezing so like you think about like your frozen dinner <laughs> you defrost it right you let it unfreeze Um, And then you make the change and then you refreeze it. And what that means is like, you know, say it's an ice block. It can't be forced into a new shape without breaking it first. So you kind of have to break down whatever's the current, let's just say it's a mindset um, and then change the mindset and then lock that in, like refreeze it, lock it in. Um, and I thought that was really good cause it was really simple, you know, unfreeze, change, refreeze, and the, the refreeze is making sure it's part of day to day. So, you know, don't try and change it too often or people will be left confused. That's the other thing with change is like, you know, I think change, there has to be kind of a time period of it before you make the next change. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I like this, this model. Cause it's like, give a little bit of time to unfreeze, whatever the current thing is that you want to change change it. And then once it's to an, a place where you're like, yes, the change was successful, you know, refreeze it. So like maintain it for a little bit, Um, you know, explain the change, implement it, and then refreeze it, refreeze it when it's become part of the day to day. That's one of the frameworks that I think is just great, easy to understand. It makes sense. I just apply it to like things in my, my life, but Yeah. I think that that's a really good one because too, once you get the change to where you want it to be, you want to make sure that it kind of stays that way. And it doesn't just, it's not just like a temporary change. It it remains for a little bit of time. Um, So I love that concept. And that's a framework I would suggest for anyone is, um, you know, when you're looking at your change, think about those three stages and what it looks like.
0: Mm -hmm. You've got to approach it kind of methodically because you can't be in a state of constant flux because then that yeah. becomes inefficient in itself. Um,
1: exactly, yeah. yeah. And then people become even more resistant, you know, to change yeah. if that's the case, yeah.
0: So so how can you, as a leader, then identify and address resistance to change in people and all uh, the those that might be resistant?
1: Yeah, definitely communication. I mean, I think of it like a relationship or like, you know, I have three kids. So if one of my kids is uh, resisting change, I try to get to the bottom of, what's happening. Typically it's fear. I will say typically the underlying issue is fear. And so I think if you meet with that person one-on-one, it goes a really long way just to hear them out, really doing a lot of listening and understanding, you know, what, what is making them fearful of the change or not wanting to change. And I think as long as you hear their points out, you listen to them. And then, you know, some of them you might want to address as well, but having those kind of hearts start to heart and, Um, checking in on your people, I think is really, really good because people ultimately want their voice to be heard. And if you take the time out of your day to really set that one-on-one, then it goes a really, really long way. If you're a small organization, you know, that's really, really easy to do. If you're a larger one, I would say have the direct manager check in on that person, um, understand, you know, why they're resisting and let, hear them out and don't be defensive. Definitely don't be defensive. Um, But think about it just how you would in your relationship if you wanted your partner to change, you know, it's it's a very hard thing right but if you spend time on it, um, then that person will likely be more willing to change and I think about like myself if there's a behavior that I want to change, I also need to dedicate time every single day to focus on it. Um, You know I love like the term about like what you know watering your plants and watering your grass It's the same thing with your relationships if I don't spend 30 minutes a day connecting with my partner, you know, it's probably not going to end up well in a couple of months. So same thing with change. Like you have to spend time with your people that are resistant and understand where they're coming from. And then um, maybe they have some really good points too, that you can incorporate in the change. And I think it's good to like, when you're introducing change, also talk about the things that people are going to be resistant to like, I like to, when I'm giving a project to my team, I'm like, I know this sounds like a lot of work because I know the first thing in their head are thinking like, oh, I don't have bandwidth for this. Um, so I like to adjust that right off the bat. Like, I know this is a lot of work, but I'm going to take this other thing off your plate to make room for it. So you kind of like address whatever you've heard in those one-on-ones um, when you're talking and communicating about the change. That would that would be the biggest thing is just connecting with people, making sure the communication is clear and, and listening. Mm-hmm
0: i found it interesting as well, because sometimes people at, like on principle of the project, and I feel like I've just recently experienced this, agreed to change. So like, yeah, I'm totally on board of it. And then you have the first few meetings and then uh, where actually you start going into some of the detail of what that change will require. And then you have like a ton of resistance. Uh, yes. <laughs> and at the point where they normally find out something that the change will affect them in some way that then they fear. Um, yeah. and it's like quite obvious, like at that point to me. Because sometimes people then won't even hear the rest of it because right. because they're stuck on one point. Um, yeah. And yeah, so you kind of have to address each of those bits bit by bit. You almost need to plan time in for just doing that. To be honest, yeah,
1: yeah you definitely have to plan time in and address it quickly. Because if you don't address it quickly, you know more time builds and then more you know more resistance builds. So you almost want to break it down fast and you know, get to them, like if it was on a meeting, get to them right after the meeting and like be like, hey, I heard some resistance, you know, let's talk about that.
0: So what role does data and analytics play in driving strategic change? Um, so and how would you leverage data insights to sort of guide the change process? I suppose sometimes, actually going back to what we were just talking about, it's like data is the best way of dealing with resistance as well, because you yes. can you can show things that, uh you know, mm-hmm. un the un- unarguable.
1: <laughs> yes, uh agreed. Um I'm super passionate about data, especially since it's a big part of my role. And I think it plays a huge role in change. I think when people hear about change, they want to know the facts. Like they want to know, okay, what what's the reason behind this change? And then what am I going to get out of this change? And data can help you show both of those. And I think back to an example when we were actually just dis- dismembering a team Um, that had been at the company for three to four years and people were really like, you know, close to it. It was like their babies, right? Um, Replacing it with a sales development rep team, which we didn't have yet at the company. So we were dispersing this role that was kind of like an in-between channel um, channel manager, but also a kind of outbound prospecting role to a full-blown like inbound outbound prospecting role. And um, it affected a lot of people. There were 20 people that were involved in this team that we were dispersing. And then we decided to build our sales development route team in a specific city. So it was, you know, those people couldn't fill those roles because they were all over the, the world. And the way that we kind of sold the idea was the data. So we brought the data around, you know, what that role is producing today, what the SDR role could produce, what the cost differences were in the two teams. And the data spoke for itself as far as like the efficiency that we would get out of the dollars and the efficiency and pipeline that we would get from creating this new SDR team. So I think the data serves sometimes as like a Mm -hmm. non-biased opinion, right? Because like a lot of times you can't argue the data, although I've seen people argue the data a lot. Um, But it helps to just be another data point in addition to anecdotal feedback of like, here's why we need to make the change. And people love statistics of like, hey, this is going to help us get 20% more efficient, or, you know, this is going to help our company do this strategic initiative that we wanted to do. Um, So as long as people know the end goal and data can be a great way to show what that end goal is. And then, you know, what's causing the change, usually change is originated by something that is maybe a gap and um, that gap can be proven by data as well. So, I would say absolutely use data if you're trying to sell change to your leadership team or if you're trying to sell it to your employees. I think for any company, it's a huge um, part of any kind of change. So I would say absolutely put data at the forefront and make sure that it's in any any argument to create change.
0: Mm -hmm. And sometimes I like it actually when it gets into a bit of a data war where people are interpreting it in different ways because it can actually get you to the right change uh, sometimes. Yes. like maybe the first pro- like proposal wasn't actually quite there. but if the mm-hmm. gaps there, the gaps there and it's like how you try and explain it, then you get yes. everyone's using data then they you can actually get to the right answer.
1: yeah. and I do think data like I will caution everybody that data has to be balanced with anecdotal feedback too because it's like I've also seen where data shows one thing and then you ask people and they say no, it's like a whole totally different thing and this is why the data is wrong. Um, so I think you have to be balanced so have data but also the anecdotal feedback mm-hmm.
0: so final question um when we or like end this podcast on always um so what is one thing that you tell um, marketers to stop doing one thing you can tell them to start doing and uh another thing that you tell them so keep going yeah.
1: continue. yes I love it um stop doing I would say I mean this is going to sound hard but stop being afraid of the change and embrace the change. Uh, I know it's easy to say, but I think a way that you can, like a small step that you can take that's really actionable is think about your day-to-day and change something about your day-to-day, whether it's like your routine that you do or the way that you've been thinking about something. Um, I think if you start with just little things in your life day-to-day, then you'll feel more comfortable about change You know, in your work life and in your, in your marketing team. Um, I would say start doing, start thinking about the future as we talked about. I know that's a big theme, but always be thinking like five years out, because if you can get that competitive advantage from adopting a new technology or making a new way of thinking, uh, whatever it might be, whatever the change that might be to help you prepare for the future, uh, I would say always have kind of a five-year plan ready. I like to have a matrix of like, even for my team, you know, this is how I would see it being built over the next five years these are the you know expectations i have of the company's change and how i would react to them so i would say always have that five year plan for whether it's you know your individual role and in your brand or it's like your team or it's your full organization always have that five year plan and just helps you prepare to be ready for all the changes that that's ahead um so i would say yeah for for stop doing you know don't be afraid of change start embracing it in your day to day life think of something that you can actionably change and mm-hmm. then to start, you know, put that five-year plan together.
0: Okay, perfect. So yeah, stop being resistant and start start thinking in the future, apart from in some other aspects of your life, where it's always we're always told to be present. So it's somewhere somewhere in the middle. Business future. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Business <laughs> future. Yes, exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> No, I love it. Um, Well, thanks so much for joining us, Jenna. Um, It's been great. And uh, yeah, I'm sure everyone's going to have learned so much here. And hopefully, uh, we'll go about impacting and and pushing change in their organizations as well. So yeah, thank you.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I'd I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, reach out jquigley at netscope.com. Thanks, Liam.
0: Cheers. Thanks.